Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. Uh, welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. If you're, uh, somebody said no, you weren't doing well. That makes me really mad. Um, we hope that you're doing better by the time we hit the end of the service. Um, if you're new with us, we hope your time with us is enjoyable and you make yourself at home. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Proverbs chapter 4, Wisdom Literature, Old Testament. Don't hesitate. Take a look at that table of contents to find your way there. Encourage you to bring your Bibles with you. Follow along. We study from God's Word each and every week. It'll mean much more to you if you bring your Bible and follow along, though uh, most of the verses will certainly be up on the big screen. You can follow that way. This is our Crazy Busy Teaching Series, going from burnout to balance. Media Mania is the title of this weekend's message. Think of how much simpler life was just a few years ago without, without computers, without Facebook, without LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, tens of thousands of apps, blogs, emails, cell phones, text messages, cable TV with hundreds of channels, Netflix, DVR, iPod, satellite radio, video games, and the list goes on and on and on. And the question I have for you this morning is, are you letting the digital age, media mania, strangle your soul? It tells us in Romans 12, 2, well, this is after Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing the book to Roman Christians, and he spent 11 chapters describing the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is and what he's done for us and just the amazing mercy and grace of our Savior and he says, if that really takes hold of your heart, then you're going to want to, you're, you're going to want your life, your body, he says, this vehicle to be a living sacrifice. You're going to live your life in such a way that you're going to put Jesus on display. And that's the first verse of Romans uh, 12.1. And then the second verse, he says, and don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? Anybody know? by the renewing of your mind. So he's really telling us that you can take, uh, take one path or the other. We are either being conformed to this world, we're looking more and more like, like this world, like the people of this world, or if indeed we understand his amazing mercy and grace uh, and we're walking in vital union with Christ, it's gonna uh, begin to transform our, our minds, our hearts, our lives. And we're going to look less and less like this world. And, uh, and I, I liked that because it kind of helps us to make sure that we're on track here. We're not letting uh, the digital age shape us and conform us into the image of this world as opposed to being transformed by God's word. There's an interesting uh, experiment. Maybe you did this in high school uh, science. And it's where you take a frog and put it in a, like a kettle on a stove, and it's, it's sick, it's a little sick, not, I don't mean sick in a good way, that's a bad, bad way, you guys know nowadays people use the word sick, but this is sick in a bad way, and, uh, and you could, uh, you'd put this frog in water, in a, uh, a pan on the stove, and if you turned the heat up to where it is incrementally going up a little by little over two hours, you can literally boil the frog to death without, without the frog even uh, yelping, crying out in any way, or even trying to jump from the pan. 
That's sick, isn't it? It's pretty interesting. How many uh, dissected frogs in high school? You guys remember that? That's sick. I mean that in a good way, okay? Uh, but, uh, I'm kidding. But, but that's, I, I thought of that, I thought of that experiment, I thought of that, and I thought that's a lot like what's happening. It, it describes to us that uh, silent toll of spiritual decay that could be happening to us in this media mania environment if we're not careful. Um, let me read to you a couple quotes here. This the first one is from Michael Horton, theologian, White Horse Inn. This is what he says. He says, we live in a world of constant distraction. Not only are we constantly being interrupted by cell phones, email, and text messages, but we're also distracted from thinking and contemplation in a culture of constant entertainment. We are distracting ourselves to death. We are distracting ourselves to death. And then in his book, The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains, Nicholas Carr writes, when we go online, we enter an environment that promotes cursory reading, hurried and distracted thinking, and superficial learning. The net seizes our attention only to scatter it. We become mindless consumers of data. We can... How can we become true disciples if we are all becoming superficial learners? And I put on your notes there, you'll see there at the top, I put these three words. So we're becoming more and more, and we're a society that is becoming scatterbrained, shallow. And then I added one, self-absorbed, and we'll talk about that as we work through our notes. Self-absorbed, narcissistic. Now, Now, why would those be issues? Why would that be such a big deal? Well, here's, here's why that's a big deal is that um, I believe that all of our problems, all of your problems, all of my problems, setting aside anything that's uh, physiologically driven, um, but all of our problems with inordinate, excessive anxiety, anger, or depression, when we're really struggling emotionally, that is because at that moment, we have forgotten who the God of the Bible is, or maybe we don't even really know him. And the reason why we have forgotten him is that we're probably not spending enough time in our key verse here for this series is uh, Psalm 46.10. You guys remember it? Be still and know that I am God. But if we find ourselves not being still and knowing that he is God, then when push comes to shove in our life, when we face the difficulties of life, which I believe that uh, the more you walk with him, the more prepared you will be to face the difficulties of life. In fact, listen to me, you can face anything. The more you understand who it is that is for you and not against you, that will never leave you or forsake you, you can face anything, but if we're not taking out time to be still and know that he is God, stepping out of the traffic and taking a long loving look at him, our high God, then we're gonna have short-term memory loss. When, when push comes to shove in our life, we're not gonna have that sense of his presence in our life to, to help us to navigate through that. And so I believe all of our inordinate anxiety, anger, depression is, is really coming from the fact that we have forgotten who, who God is. And we need, and, we need, and oftentimes the, the internet and uh, this whole digital age can contribute to this superficial, this scatterbrained, shallow, and even self-absorbed narcissistic uh, approach to life. Because I believe, I'm convinced of this, that, that Christians should be the most content, courageous, compassionate people around 
Now, I know I shouldn't compare ourselves to others because I don't know what God has to work with you, you know, as it relates to you and how far you've come. And, and that's going to vary with each person. And, but, but here's, let me put it differently here, is that you should be today, if you are indeed walking in vital union with Jesus Christ, you should be more courageous, more compassionate, and more content than what you were a few years ago. Does that make sense? I mean, that just goes without saying. And we're going to look at the text here this morning that it's going to validate what I just said. But could it be, could it be that you are letting media mania strangle your soul? Let's find out. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray and then we'll dive into our text. Father God, it tells us in James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes from you, from above, coming down from the Father of lights with with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God, you are amazing. You are captivating. God, it, it, we, just, we want to have an encounter with you this morning through the study of your word. We are grateful for the good gift of the digital age we live in with all kinds of movies and music and video games at our fingertips with smartphones, with voicemail and FaceTime and text messaging, keeping us connected, even the internet to research and retrieve information on almost any subject imaginable, and yet, and yet we are in danger of letting this good gift strangle our soul in our passionate pursuit of the perfect gift, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we pray that through the study of your word, that you would convict us, change us, Consume us by your loving presence here this morning for your glory and our satisfaction. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. So take a look at this text, uh, Proverbs 4, 10 through 27. Three things we're looking at here because what we're talking about here is character. So the more you understand God's character, his nature, who he is, who it is that walks through your day with you, the more it's gonna give you character, character to be able to face anything. And so... How characters developed, verses 10 through 19, and then we're going to look at where character comes from, verses 20 through 27, and then we'll finish up uh, by talking about how to bring Christian doctrine to bear on our digital age dangers, and then we're going to take communion this morning. So let me read the text. Here we go. Verse 10, chapter 4, Proverbs here. My son, and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. He's talking about longevity. You want to live a long life? Then you need to listen up. Verse 11, I have taught you the way of wisdom. We'll define wisdom in a minute. I've taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. Now notice this. Because you know the way of wisdom and you're walking in the way of wisdom, when you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let it go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Now he gives a real stern warning here, verse 15. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep Unless they have done wrong, they are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. Now this is a sweet verse. Verse 18 is a wonderful verse. I've been kind of reflecting and thinking on this verse 
this last week. Listen to what it says, but the path of the righteous. So if you've put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is the path that you would be on. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full, full day. Okay, everybody look up here. This is what you gotta get from this verse. It's pretty important. Is that if you're walking with Jesus, if you really have a relationship with him, then his grace should be more amazing today than what it was a few years ago. His love should be more captivating than what it was a few years ago. A few years ago. That his presence should be more empowering than what it was a few years ago. Do you see what he's saying here? But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. That's a, I mean, that's a promise. That's a promise that he's giving to us. And, and I absolutely love it. I believe that in this, that he's saying in this verse that there is more love, more joy, more peace, more of the presence of God to be enjoyed than what you are currently enjoying. And if you will continue on that path, there will be, it will begin to shine brighter and brighter until full day. Now, I, and let me just share with you something personal, personal that I've experienced. I've been doing this for quite a while. I'm getting to be an old dude here, pretty old. I'm uh, just uh, in my early 40s, and uh, I've, I'm so old I've forgotten how old I am, okay? But I'm, I'm old, I'm 57, and... Uh, and some of you are going, wow, we thought you looked a whole lot older than that, okay? Is that what you're, you not, better not be saying that, anybody up here close, because you're within reach, okay? But uh, you were saying that back there in the back. You better sit back there, dude, because you're in big trouble if you're saying that. But uh, I've been doing this a long time, and usually guys that have been doing it as long as I've been doing it, this church over 20 years, they're usually burned out, and they're ready to retire, and I just want you guys to know that I have never, I have never been more stoked by the gospel than what I am today. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I, God is showing me things about who he is and, and he's doing things in my life that I, I never even dreamed were possible. And I'm thinking, man, okay, I can't hardly wait till I get another 10 years and then, and then if I live for another 10 years after that, I mean, the best is even yet to come when I come face to face with my Savior, but oh my goodness. See, I believe that's the promise of this verse. Let me read it again. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. That's a promise. That's a promise. And so... um, We've got a lot of classes here at Desert Breeze, and there's one class that's been meeting uh, here on Sunday nights, and it's the uh, conflict resolution class, and Bo is doing a great job teaching. It's really great material. It's one of the best books I've ever read on the topic. And so, so as you get through that class, listen, as a Christian, you know, a, a few years down the road, you ought to be an expert in conflict resolution, that's what that verse is saying. There's a class kicking off here tonight. It's the marriage class taught by uh, Matt and Deborah Trusella. They do a phenomenal job. Many of you have signed up for it. And let me just say, you take that class, you take a number of other classes, and as you're continuing to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you ought to be an expert in marriage, in, in marriage and in showing others how to do marriage. 
I'm telling you, because as you walk with Jesus and as you get to know him, that's the path of wisdom. And the more you walk in the path of wisdom, it is brighter and brighter until full day. Okay, I won't say any more. Let's move on. We've got to finish the text, okay? But that, that is a sweet verse. That's a wonderful verse. That's a promise to you and I here this morning. And so if you're getting frustrated, hang in there. Keep going. Make sure you're on the path because we're going to make a distinction between the two paths here. So verse 19, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Verse 20, he says, my son, be attentive to my words. Now, notice all the different verbs that he uses here. Be attentive, incline your ear. So not only just pay attention, but I mean, lean in. Incline your ear to my sayings and then let them not escape your sight. In other words, keep them focused in front of you. And then he says, keep them within your heart. Don't forget this stuff. Verse 22, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. And then here's a verse that has really helped me out tremendously through the years. He says, keep your heart with all vigilance. I actually memorized this a number of years ago. Above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life, for from it flow the springs of life. In other words, that's the, that's, it sets the course for your life. Where are you going? Where are you headed? How are you experiencing life? Are you experiencing this uh, brighter and brighter until full day kind of experience in your walk with God? If not, you need to look at your heart. You're headed in the wrong direction. In verse 24 through 27, he just kind of explains a little bit more what happens as a result of our heart. Put away from you crooked speech because uh, our words are a window to our heart. So he's just saying, hey, this is going to show you where your heart is. And then, and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. This is God's word to us this morning. Okay, so here's here's where we're going. Let's knock this out. Here's your first fill in the blank. So how character is developed. Character is who you are when no one is watching. When you're not on, uh, when no one sees you, that's your character. Now, you came in here with your guard up. And in fact, when couples, when they first get married... For, for a little while, for a season, I don't know, it, it varies. But your guard's up. And then you lower your guard. And then you really find out <laughs> who you married, okay? Can you relate to that? You guys know what I'm talking about? It's, it's kind of crazy, that's just that's the way it goes. Yeah, you, okay, right here. Steve, you know that, don't you? And, um, and so... It's when your guard is down, it, that really tells you what, uh, what your character is. Now, let me define for you wisdom. Wisdom is seeing and responding to life from God's perspective. It's competent in life's realities. So if you're growing in wisdom, you're walking the path of wisdom, you're going to be more competent in life's realities, in the difficulties, and the conflicts, and the issues that, are, that, that you face, you're going to have the tools necessary. That's what he's talking about here. We also know that wisdom can be seen, and this whole idea of character is who we are 
when no one is watching is really based on, I gave you some cross-references here, Galatians 5, 22 through 23. How many know what Galatians 5, 22 through 23 is? You guys familiar with that text of scripture? It's actually the fruit of the spirit. So it's, it's talking about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So that should be more and more evident in your life, regardless of the people, things, and circumstances uh, around you. Does it make sense? You would show that you have character, not just because people are watching you, but God's with you. And then Matthew twenty two thirty seven through 39 talks about really the character that we should have, that it's uh, love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, as I was reading, I, I read through the Bible a few times a year, and as I was reading, I'm, I'm at David and Goliath, the story in 1 Samuel 17, and it, it occurred to me that David was certainly a man of character, and the nation of Israel had a different kind of character, um, and, um, and this is what I found that was interesting is that the nation of Israel, they're kind of shaking in their boots with, with Goliath and then here young David shows up and he's not even intimidated by Goliath. And, and this, is what it, this is what it shows us when you read that story. So character is the mental and moral qualities distinctive to an individual. So to the nation of Israel... Goliath was bigger than their God. To David, his God was bigger than Goliath. In other words, for David, running away from Goliath was not in keeping with his character because he didn't just know about God, he knew God. And and that had been tested earlier on when he was a shepherd in the fields when he had to take on the the lions and the bears. And so that had been tested. His character had been developed. So listen to me. It's the small things in our life that begin to prepare us for the bigger things in our life. And so let me ask you this question. How loving, how joyful, how peaceful, how patient, how kind are you really? Because if you're walking with him, the God of all creation, and you know that he's for you and not against you, it's gonna make a difference in how you respond to the issues of life. So is, I mean, when you, when you, when you face the Goliaths of life, is Goliath bigger than your problems? And I mean, I'm sorry, is Goliath bigger than your God? Or is God bigger than your Goliaths, the, the issues that you're facing? And the only way that you can begin to see that God is indeed, he is bigger than anything that you'll ever face and he's more than enough is that you've got to learn to be still and know that he's God. Step out of the traffic regularly and take a long loving look at him, your high God. And so that he's not just a concept, that he becomes a reality deep, deep in your heart. Here's the next point in your notes. Your character is fixed and determined not by dramatic events but by daily choices. Look at verse 14. He says, in the... In the beginning of the pathway, the daily choices, you're, you're in control. Let me read that. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. And then he gives us this very stern warning in verse 15. Avoid it, do not go on it, turn away from it and pass on. And then in verse 16, you almost get the language of addiction, obsession and drivenness. You're just being controlled for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. Isn't that interesting? So it's the, what, what is, what's the addiction that he's talking about here? I believe that the addiction is fundamentally what's wrong with all of us. 
It's self-centeredness. It's self-absorption. All of our issues are rooted in the fact, and this is, if you really looked at sin, sin is really based on a self-absorption or self-centeredness. Why is that? Well, this unsmiling concentration on self is a result of our being glory hungry. We said this a few weeks ago. You were meant to walk in the garden in the cool of the day and to look into the eyes of God and find all the acceptance, significance, and security that you will ever need. And out of that abundance, then begin to face life. But because we have rejected God, because we've turned our back on God, it creates a spiritual alienation which immediately creates a psychological alienation and we're no longer operating out of an abundance but more out of deficit. And then we begin to create and we don't face the issues appropriately. By the way, self-centeredness, if we're operating out of self-centeredness, that tends to make everything, even relationships, a means to an end. But only when we find our sense of completeness in God... Then, then the things in our life are not a means to an end. Then we can, we can deal with the issues around us and also the relationships. And that's the culprit. That's what creates more problems in our relationship more than anything is we're not finding our sense of satisfaction in God and then therefore in that deficit, I'm trying to cultivate relationship with you and it's, it creates problems. I'm wanting you to jump through hoops. You're wanting me to jump through hoops. Why? So that we can both find a certain amount of satisfaction that we need to be finding in God. And, and so you get this in as he's writing this, this path of wisdom and then unwisdom, darkness, self-centeredness, unsmiling concentration on self. So our daily choices are taking you someplace, one direction or the other. Okay, so came across a couple interesting articles over the last year, and I'll try not to spend too much time on them, but... Uh, One article is titled, We Are Raising a Generation of Deluded Narcissists. Does that sound like an interesting article? It's like, oh, that's interesting. What is that about? Dr. Uh, Keith Ablo published January 8th, uh, 2013, Fox News Company. It, it says this, a new analysis of American freshman survey, which has accumulated uh, data for the past 47 years from 9 million young adults, revealed that college students are more likely than ever to call themselves gifted and driven to succeed, even though their test scores and time spent studying are decreasing. They're just saying there's an inconsistency there. Psychologist Gene Twinge. Uh, the lead author of the analysis is also the author of a study showing that the, the tendency toward narcissism in students is up 30% in the last 30 years. Uh, these data are not unexpected. I have been writing a great deal over the past few years about the toxic psychological impact of media, technology, and technology on children, adolescents, and young adults, particularly as it regards to turning them into faux Celebrities, the equivalent of lead actors in their own fictionalized life stories. Isn't that interesting? And then he goes on. I don't think I'll read too much more of this. No, actually, I will. I think I will. Okay. Uh, on Facebook, young people can fool themselves into thinking that they have hundreds or thousands of friends. They can delete unflattering comments. They can block anyone who uh, disagrees with them or pokes holes in their inflated self-esteem. They can choose to show the world only flattering, sexy, or funny photographs of themselves. 
speak in pithy short posts and publicly connect to movie stars and professional athletes and musicians they like. And it goes on and talks about the implications of what that means. Using Twitter, they can kind of do the same. Using computer games, our sons and daughters can pretend they are Olympians, Formula One drivers, rock stars, or uh, sharpshooters. On MTV, I found this interesting, on MTV and other networks, young people can see lives just like theirs portrayed on reality TV shows fueled by such incredible self-involvement and self-love that any of the real-life characters should really be in a psychotherapy, be in psychotherapy to have any chance at anything like a normal life. So the, the article basically says, these are the psychological drugs of the 21st century, and they are getting our sons and daughters very sick indeed. So, I mean, it doesn't, shouldn't surprise us. We live in a very self-absorbed society. Fundamentally, that's what's wrong with us, is that we want to make life all about us. And we encourage that. That's the air we breathe. It's God ignoring, and it's all about us. And so the media just tends to encourage that. So I came across some list here of, are you a narcissist? Six sure signs of narcissism. <laughs> this really sounds, I mean, it's just, okay. It's a bit of a rabbit trail, but it actually goes along with this because that's what I think he's really talking about here is just the self-absorption. You can't sleep. You gotta, it's this comparison and competition and gotta have more and be more and do more and and it's because we're empty on the inside. And so here's some of the signs. It says, sign one, unilateral listening. Unilateral listening. Which means you're not a good listener. That's what that means. You're not a bilateral listener. And so, so what I want is all that matters. When we make decisions together, what you want, your concerns, your feelings, these are mere whispers, inconveniences, irrelevancies. When we discuss issues, my opinions are right, yours are wrong, or else of minimal importance. If you expect to have input, you are undermining me. Sound like a boss or two that you've had? Yeah. How about this one, sign two? It's all about me. I know more. I know better. I'm more interesting. When we talk, it's mostly about me. In conversations, I take up most of the airtime. Almost all of my chatter is about what I have done, what I'm thinking about. If you begin to talk about yourself, I link back to something in my life so that the focus of the discussion again becomes all about me. Maybe that's why people say I suck up all of the air in a room. I actually had somebody uh, bring that up to me here not too long ago. And I, I had tied what they were saying to something personal. And I said, hey, dude, this isn't about you. <laughs> and it hurt. And then I realized, yeah, it's right. I'm very self-absorbed. And it, I mean, it was just like a sock in the gut. But I didn't want to hear it. But at the same time, it was like, yeah, you know what? He's right. I had to go back and process it. I mean, I had to walk away from it. Because I wanted to knock him out right then there. It's like... And you're a pathetic loser too. Okay, get off my back. I mean, that's how I felt. That was my knee-jerk reaction. But I mean, it's just validating my narcissistic attitude. It's like, whoa, you can make it about me too. Come on, let me be part of this. And he was kind of working through some issues and I kind of brought it right back around to me. Sign three, the rules don't apply to me. I can have affairs, cut in a line where others are waiting, cheat on my taxes, ignore rules that get in the way of my doing what I want. Rules are for other people to follow. Sign four, your concerns are really criticisms of me, and I hate being criticized. That's a good one. I mean, I, by the way, when you rate these on a scale from one to ten, all of us fit somewhere here. 
even if it's a one or two. Because naturally, sinfully, we are sinners by nature and by, by choice, and we are naturally self-absorbed because we don't typically live in connection and vital union with Christ. Therefore, we're operating for the most part from a deficit. Sign four. Your concerns are really criticism of me, and I hate being criticized. If you insist on my listening and taking your concerns seriously, I'm likely to get mad. Criticism hurts. I can criticize others and often do. But if you criticize me, you're hurting my feelings, so I'll hurt you back. Number five, when things go wrong between us, it's always your fault. (laughs) Nancy and I did that a lot. It was probably, I mean, we would like try to put it back on each other. We did that for many years. And uh, listen to how this one goes. I can't be expected to apologize or to admit blame. I'm above others and above reproach. You sh- uh, don't threaten me with expecting me to say how I've contributed to a problem or I'll get mad at you. And here's number six. If I'm angry, it's your fault. You made me mad. You didn't listen to me. You criticized me. You're trying to control me. Your view is wrong. You need to apologize, not me. Does that sound familiar? How many husbands out there are thinking, that sounds just like my wife? Better not be. You're just validating your narcissism. I mean, quite honestly, that's exactly what I was thinking, too. That sounds like my wife, Nancy. Here, she needs to read this. Wait a minute. But that's that tendency to always push it off on somebody else, a failure to think that you, you know, like you're above all of that. And, and so, that, I mean, that's, that's what he's talking about here. That's the path of, of darkness, And so here, let's take a look at the next thing. So sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. So he's he's talking about a path. He's talking about a way, walking. So so your daily choices are taking you someplace. Verse 17, he says this. This is, I found this interesting. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. So what are you feeding on? Proverbs or Philippians 4 8, it says, Whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. See, that should be the filter for the movies, music, blogs, internet that you surf or you're on or you watch. Whatever is true, noble, right, purely lovely, and admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. It also says here in 1 Corinthians 15 13, it says, uh, evil company corrupts what? You guys know that? Good morals. We tend to become like the people we hang out with. So who are you hanging out with? And I find this really quite interesting is that people will really be frustrated over their Christian life. And if you were to look at their life and, and compare the amount of time that they maybe spend at church or in Bible study or prayer or around other fired up Christians as compared to the movies and the shows, TV shows that they DVR and, and all these other things. I mean, there's a stark contrast between how much time they're spending in front of the TV versus how much time they're actually spending connecting with, with God. Notice what he says here in verse 18, the path of the righteous. This is, as I've already said, the law of the increasing returns. I mean, we should be growing we should be coming, becoming more like Jesus. And then verse 19, it says, the way or the path of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. I mean, things are going wrong with their life, but they don't know why. They're out of touch with reality. 
It's unwisdom. They don't, see, wisdom is being in touch with reality. It's seeing and responding to life from God's perspective. And this is the law of decreasing returns. Maybe you weren't affected as much as I was this last week, and maybe it's because I've seen a number of this happen, but this Philip Seymour Hoffman, the overdose, chasing the dragon. I don't know how many times I went on calls as a firefighter, and the needle was in their arm. Now, why would a guy that's an Academy Award winner at the top, I mean, of, of his giftedness on Broadway and the many movies, phenomenal actor, be chasing the dragon because he's empty inside. And I don't know his heart. I don't know what went down hours before that. But man, too many times, you know, when they buy this stuff, why was he buying heroin? Why is he shooting heroin? Because he needs Jesus. Because nothing in this world will satisfy you like him. All the fame and fortune doesn't even come close. Listen to me. Oh my goodness. And we've gone on these calls. We always knew when there was a fresh batch of heroin that hit the streets. Because dudes and gals were shooting up and overdosing left and right. I mean, they don't get that from a pharmacy, so they don't know the cut. They don't know how potent it is. But they still push more all the time because they're trying to get a bigger high because they don't get the same high that they used to with the same amount of stuff. It's the law of decreasing returns. It's darkness. It's darkness. That's what he's talking about. And really, this whole idea is that we're either on one path or we're on another path. And our daily choices have an impact on our life and on what path we're on. So we need to define evil here. Because it says over and over, it talks about evil <clears throat> for the path of the... It says... Uh, it says, for they cannot avoid, oh, verse 14, do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. What is evil? What is evil? Here's what evil is. You can write this down. Jeremiah 2.13, God speaks to the nation of Israel. They have committed two evils. They have forsaken the fountain of living water, speaking of God, for broken cisterns. So here's what evil is. Evil would be to choose anything in creation over and above the creator. It's to try to find your deep satisfaction in something in, that's in creation as opposed to what the creator can do for you. He's, the Bible's saying that's evil. That's the path of destruction. That's the path of darkness. Now, in his book, uh, Crazy Busy, uh, Kevin DeYoung, where this series is based on, he talks about different threats, and so I, I need to talk about those very briefly here. Because as you talk about sow an action, reap a habit, sow a habit, reap a character, sow a character, reap a destiny. He talks about addiction, and we've kind of talked about that, addicted to ourselves, but he talks about being addicted not just to porn. By the way, if you have a problem with porn, you need to uh, get a block on your uh, computer, make sure you're, you're on the computer when, where people can see. But like Covenant Eyes, and there's others out there that, are, that you can get to do that. But he's not just talking about that. That's, that's the obvious. But an addiction to the screen that you can't go a day without looking at your phone or checking Facebook, email, or Twitter. In fact, when you get up in the morning, that's the first thing that you do. You look to Twitter or something like that as opposed to looking into the very face of, of the living God through his word. 
And he says that's a, that's a threat. He also talked about the threat of slothfulness and listlessness. And he defined it like this. I, I paraphrase it here a bit. Evenings without number obliterated by TV or internet, busy but never accomplishing anything, anesthetized to, to time and duty. And then the third one is never being alone is that we just keep that noise constant, wanting the constant background noise so that we never have to listen to our hearts and be terrified by the hole in our heart so big that only God can fill. He says that's that's the threat. Those are the threats of of the internet and and our digital age. Okay, so let's take you to the next one. So, So these actions that we take, what do they come from? Now this is perhaps... um, the most um, important thing I'm going to share with you, and this is what began to change my life. I felt like I was kind of in a mud bog a number of years ago in my life. I wasn't experiencing much change, and this was revolutionary. So what I'm going to share with you here was revolutionary to my life, and if you want to get to the root of your issues and really experience more change unlike you've ever experienced before, you've got to understand this. Where character comes from, and and it's, it's, it's spelled out to us through verses 20 through 27, Now, here's what I want to say before I do that. On any given Sunday morning, there can be two people sitting out here in our audience, and if you were to watch their lives externally, you would say, hey, both of these are really moral people. They're very virtuous. And look at them, and they read their Bible, they pray, they go to church, and they do all these great things, but little do we know that they could be doing them for totally two different reasons, that one could be doing it to appease God and the other one is doing it to please God. To appease God meaning that, that you're doing it out of uh, what is known as common, common virtue, out of fear or pride. Versus true virtue, which would be that abundance, that your heart is captivated by, by who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And then when he said, it is finished, You knew that the work was done and you had access to the throne room of God and out of that abundance and as you walk with him, that you you wanted to read your Bible, you wanted to pray. It wasn't a have to trying to earn God's favor, but it was a want to. We we talked about, uh, I shared a couple weeks ago, St. Augustine's quote, the true life change doesn't happen as a result of the acts of the will, but the loves of the heart. And if you read most self-help books, and and even in churches these days, you'll see an emphasis, many churches these days, you'll see an emphasis on the acts of the will versus the loves of the heart. And it's the loves of the heart that drive our lives. We do what we do because of what we love. And see, you can even have a a very immoral person that's maybe being somewhat abusive to, to his wife, and he can become very moral but never deal with what's fundamentally wrong with us, our self-absorption, self-centeredness. So you can become, you can be immoral and become moral for self-centered reasons because it's all about you. I do this because I want people to applaud me and, and yeah, of course I want my marriage to stay together. No, no, no. There's a much deeper reason and that would be a heart that is captivated that's overtaken by the love of Jesus. And so regardless of how your wife may respond or may not respond, you're going to sustain that direction because you're operating out of, a, out of abundance rather than out of deficit. We talked about tithing a, a few weeks ago. And so I could, I could use uh, 
pride by saying, hey, if you're a good Christian, you'll tithe. That's pride. That's, that's common virtue. It's a wrong motivation. Or I could use fear by saying, if you don't tithe, you're a bad person. You're a bad Christian. That's fear. But here's how the Bible typically deals with it. It says this. It says like uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich. Do you have any idea what he's done for you? When you see his radical generosity for you, you're gonna be radically generous to others. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with me? So, so there's, we gotta work on our hearts. Why do we do what we do? Why are you here? You're not gonna be here in a few weeks, few months, few years if you're here for the wrong reason. I see people bail out of church all the time. And it's typically they're coming for the wrong reasons. Come for him. Come to know him. Come to experience him. Come to, to know him like you've never known him before because, boy, that is a reason worth living for when you understand all that he's done for you. So let me give you the fill in the blanks. If God isn't your greatest treasure, then something else will be. That's just how we've been wired up. Now, let me give you another definition for, for wisdom. I told you that wisdom is, is competent in life's realities, and it's, uh, so it's um, seeing and responding to life from God's perspective, but there's something much deeper to the understanding of wisdom. And this is what it is. What is the beginning of wisdom? Anybody? What's the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord. If you don't have the fear of the Lord, you're not gonna be able to walk in wisdom. You're not gonna be able to respond, see and respond to life from God's perspective. And so the beginning of wisdom, you're not even on square one until you understand the fear of the Lord. Here's the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a life-altering, joyful, all-in-wonder of the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is and what he's done for you that ruins you for anything else. And so when we get together, week, week in and week out, right here at Desert Breeze, when you get together with other Christians in small groups, when you're reading your Bible, when you're praying, that's what you're trying to do. You're stirring up that appetite for God. You're wanting to see the beauty and the glory of who he is that ruins you for anything else. It's a fight. That's the fight of faith. And uh, Proverbs 1, 7, 10, 9. What do you treasure above anything? What is the love of your life? What do you believe will make you happy? Here's the next point. A counterfeit God is anything that absorbs your heart more than God. Now, as you're filling the blank, see if you can answer this. And you need to know this, okay? How do you know that you've got a counterfeit God? How do you know that you've got a counterfeit God? Did you notice this? Counterfeit God absorbs your heart. So how do you know? How do you know that it's a counterfeit God? I'll tell you. I'll tell you exactly. I've seen it in my own life. Your emotional well-being goes off the rails. If something else is up, uh, you know, absorbing your heart more than God, then when push comes to shove in your life, that counterfeit God is being threatened, blocked, or lost, so goes your emotional well-being. See, your inordinate anxiety is a collapsing counterfeit God. I'm freaking out, I'm mad, I'm angry. Why? Because something other than the Lord Jesus Christ is at the center of your life. I mean, and it's a wonderful opportunity to to replace whatever that is with him. You're trying to find your sense of identity in, in something in creation as opposed to the creator. So a counterfeit God is anything that absorbs your life. That's why he says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And then whatever absorbs your heart controls your speech, your perspective, and your behavior. So listen to your words, 
I can tell when Christ isn't at the center of my life, boy, I have so much sarcasm and cynicism and, and just all kinds of stuff that come out of my mouth. And then my perspective, you know, I'm overwhelmed by the trials and the temptations of life. They, they begin to eat away at me. And what it is is that, is that my, my Goliath is bigger than my God and I need to, to once again, okay, God, help me to put you at the center of my life. And it even makes a difference in our behavior. So whatever is the ultimate love of your heart spins out a whole way of making choices and decisions in life. Now, we're going to move quick here. I'm going to read to you just a couple illustrations of this. In his book, Tim Keller's book, The Reason for God, just when you know, kind of see what happens when something's at the center of your life. And then I'm going to show you a video clip. And then the last part of this we'll read very quickly in... uh, just before we take communion. But listen to what he says in, this, in his book here. He says, if, if you center your life and identity on your spouse or partner, you will be emotionally dependent, jealous, and controlling. The other person's problems will be overwhelming to you. If you center your life and identity on your children, on your family and children, you will try to live your life through your children until they resent you or have no self of their own. At worst, you may abuse them when they displease you. And he goes on, there's a number of others. Let me just read uh, this last one. If you center your life and identity on religion and morality, you will, if you are living up to your moral standards, be proud, self-righteous, and cruel. And if you don't live up to your standards, your guilt will be utterly devastating. So it really comes down to what's at the center of our lives. This clip meant to... get us to think a little bit, kind of stir it up within us. There's a movie clip from the movie Click. Michael Newman, played by Adam Sandler, is a harried um, workaholic who is given a universal remote control that controls his universe so that he can mute and fast-forward time with family and friends to spend more time impressing his ungrateful boss and earn a well-deserved promotion only to realize too late he has missed the more important things in life. Check this out. won't take you there. Take me where? To the moment he died. You weren't there. Of course I wasn't. Can you take me to the last time I saw him, please? Hey, Dad. Sorry to uh, bug you. Would you mind looking at my, uh, my shopping mall design again? This one is cheaper. But if you check this out, You'll see it has Whoa. a much better natural flow. Cheaper one. It. Like I said, I just let me do my email. Yeah, yeah, you're right, Dad. Um, he ain't right. You're a schmuck. Better. Look at it. Surprise. Hey, Grandpa. Oh, my God. <laughs> when did you get so handsome? So, Michael, I had a wonderful idea. Your mother's playing canasta with her friends tonight. I thought, oh, what a great opportunity. You, me, and Ben should go and have a boys' night out. Can't. What do you mean you can't? You have to eat sometime. We could go, we could whistle at pretty girls. (laughs) I'm down for that. See, he's down. I don't know what it means, but he's down. (laughs) Hey, please. 
Don't give me that finger. I'll make you a deal. If you come, I'll show you the quarter trick. Will you look at the man? I'll tell you the secret. No, Dad. Don't you want to know how you do the stupid trick? I've always known. Can you let me do my work? I love you too, Dad. I'll miss you. You know that. Goodbye. Let's uh, prepare our hearts uh, for communion. I'm going to walk through these last statements, and those of you that are going to be passing out communion, you can make your way back, and we're going to invite the, the band up here. But bring Christian doctrine to bear on the digital age dangers. This is kind of how we need to think through this. And uh, because of the doctrine of creation, we affirm that man-made artifacts can be instruments for human flourishing and for God's glory, no doubt about it. And that's what we need to look, that when we are involved with all the different things that we have, is this actually helping for human flourishing and God's glory? Is this bringing glory to God? Because we have a God who chose us in eternity past and looks at a day as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day, we will not be infatuated with the latest fads and trends. I mean, knowing God... Knowing God is better. His presence is better than any new fangled phone or anything that you could ever experience. Because of the incarnation, we understand there is no substitute for dwelling with physical people in a physical place. So we do not accept virtual encounters as adequate substitutes for flesh and blood relationships. Because we understand our worth as image bearers and our identity as children of God, we will not look to the internet to prove that we are important, valuable, and loved. Because we accept the presence of indwelling sin, we will not be blind to the potential idolatries and temptations we can succumb to online. Because we know ourselves to be fallen creatures, we will accept the limits of our human condition. We cannot have meaningful relationships with thousands of people. We cannot really know what is going on in the world. We can't be... Omnicompetent, 
omni-informed or omnipresent. We must choose our absence, our inability, and our ignorance and choose wisely. And here's the last one, most important, because in his presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. We will take drastic measures to remove anything that hinders this pursuit and here's the idea, once, once you've tasted the reality of God's presence, everything is worth losing to have it, and nothing is worth keeping if it keeps you from it. Let's pray. God, thank you this morning for speaking to us uh, so clearly, so comprehensively through your word. And God, may we be willing to take drastic measures to remove those things that are not enhancing our walk with you and uh, Lord, may we be willing to, to begin to do those things that will indeed help us and keep us on that path of righteousness so that our lives can shine brighter and brighter until the full day, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. They'll be passing out the communion elements, just hang on to them, and then I will walk us through that process. So we, we hold in our hands these uh, emblems that, uh, that represent... <laughs> the amazing love of the creator of the universe. That he could not bear the thought of you being eternally separated from him, so he came to this earth and died on a cross to reunite you to the Father. And so what that means is that it's, it's done, it is finished. It is finished means that your sins, past, present, future, are forgiven. There's therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That is amazing. That's unbelievable. And not only does that mean that our sins are forgiven, but he, he indwells us, he empowers us with his presence, that there's no problem, no issue, nothing that we ever face that is beyond his power and grace within us to overcome. And then it also tells us that when we take our last breath on earth, we take our first breath in heaven to be with him for all eternity. Paid in full for you and I. It's amazing. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want to follow him? Why wouldn't you want to, to live your life for him? Why wouldn't you be willing to, as it says, that if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off? I mean, he's, he's saying that metaphorically, but you're going to get rid of those things in your life that would keep you from, from him. Because listen to me, the best thing about the Christian life is the presence of God. Oh, I love his presence. I love his presence. And it's not based on your performance, it's based on his performance. It's a done deal. You can enter into his presence because of what he's done for you. And so as you, as you confess your sins and as you recognize, hey, God, you haven't been at the center of my life. There's some things that I need to deal with as it relates to this media. Lord, help me to walk through this and get rid of this stuff because I want to know you, I want to experience you, and I want my life to shine brighter and brighter with each new day. On the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, he, he broke it and said, this represents my broken body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. Would you stand with me for closing prayer? So you guys shouldn't give me a weekend off because I just come back with way too much to say, okay? I went way too long today, and you guys have been very patient and kind. I love you guys very much. And so let's pray. God, thank you so much for each person here this morning.
And God, I pray that we would, above all else, guard our hearts because this is a wellspring of life. And may we keep you at the center of our lives and do those things that would continue to keep you at the center of our lives so that we could live our lives in such a way that we would let our light shine before men so that they can see our good deeds and glorify our Father who is in heaven. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. God bless you.